Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> Matthew 28. <clears throat> the Great Commission is found, of course, in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Jesus, speaking to the church, said, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. We have a commission as a church to get the good news to the four corners of the earth. Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we find the words of Luke, the physician who wrote the book of Acts. Quoting the Lord Jesus, he said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jerusalem, be witnesses where you live. You shall be witnesses unto me. In Jerusalem, we could insert for Jerusalem, Nampa. And not only in Nampa, but in all Judea, the state of Idaho needs to know the Lord. We're not, we're not through when we evangelize the city of Nampa. If everybody in the city of Nampa became a Christian, we'd still have a job to do. The rest of Idaho needs to know the Lord. And then he said, if you get Idaho saved, don't stop there. Go to Samaria. That's Utah, by the way. <laughs> and Oregon and Texas. That's every, you know, that's, that's the outskirts. And then he said, go to the uttermost parts of the earth. If you get it done and, and you're where, where you are in the, in the immediate uh, outlying area, you're still not through. Go to the uttermost parts of the earth. We have a commission, a command. Yet we have a, a tendency to come to church with particular needs, desires, problems, and we've determined to hear from God about those things because we are kind of, as human beings, and by the way, I'm not here to, I'm not here to be negative uh, or to talk down to you. I'm just telling you what the, uh, the, uh, the, the average mindset of the average Christian is, is to come to church 
I have these needs. I need the, these needs need to be met. And in fact, we have uh, seen a whole church growth movement uh, started around meeting felt needs. And I think we need to meet felt needs. There certainly is a, a, a need for that. But our focus has become so much my own felt needs that I'm not looking outside of my own life. When in fact, if people would get over the fact that they have needs and, and get their mind and their hearts focused on someone else beside themselves, their own needs would be met. It never fails. If you'll give away something, you'll receive what you've given away. You need encouragement. You need uh, encourage someone. If you need, if you need strength, be strength to someone. If you if you need fellowship, be a friend to someone. You see, there's a law of sowing and reaping. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. If we reap what we need. I mean, if we sow what we need, we'll reap what we need. But the the whole point is not to become narcissistic. Let me give you the dictionary definition of of narcissism. I thought it was kind of interesting. American Heritage, Heritage Dictionary, that one I happen to have, defines narcissism as... Excessive love or admiration of oneself. Even gives a second, a little more, you know, the dictionary always gives you choices in there. You can kind of kind of pick the one that fits best. Here's the second one. Erotic pleasure derived from contemplation or admiration of one's own body or self. Especially as a fixation on or a regression to an infantile stage of development. That's the dictionary. You know, I could, I would think I'd have got that out of the Bible, but actually that's a dictionary. That's what narcissism is. It's just being eaten up with yourself. It, uh, the, the, it, it's saying, I like me, who do you like? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm for me, who are you for? <laughs> And that's kind of the world that we live in. And, 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 and the problem is that this problem of narcissism has, has invaded the church. Thus, we have churches that have services that are actually just so careful that they're, they don't want to say anything, including what may come from the Scripture, that might be on the edge of offending someone. Now, I don't think there's any any uh, virtue in being obnoxious. You know, God has not called us to be obnoxious or to be hateful or to be condemning or or, or critical or any of those things, judgmental or any of those things. God hasn't called us to do that. But we can't water down truth to the point where Nobody's getting anything but a I like me, who do you like type message. And that's what's happening in a lot of churches today. I believe we do need to have a healthy self-image. I think there's something to that. 
If you don't have a healthy self-image, you're going to have a problem. But it needs to be around truth and not a fixation on yourself or on selfish interests that are not only unhealthy for us, but in fact, for believers, these attitudes of selfishness and, 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 and emphasis on self, these attitudes basically are, are pronouncing doom on people by the millions who need to know our God. Now, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm talking about the fact that we think that we've got to take care of us so much that let somebody else take care of the people outside the church. Let somebody else take care of the people in, in, in Nampa. And by all means, don't expect us to do anything to reach people over there in, in that faraway city of Boise. You know, I mean, it takes 20 minutes to drive over there. And, uh, you know, and certainly we've got to take care of things right here. You know, now, you know that business of, of getting the gospel to... Out to Idaho or Utah or Texas or, or some other, you know, our Samaria or, or to the uttermost parts of the earth. We don't even let it enter our minds. We think, many times we think somebody else will do that. And this little church is just a little church. And after all, we need to really focus on what we're doing here and don't worry about those other things. Someday we'll get big enough to where we can do that. And what we're saying is we'll take care of business at home and be disobedient until we get things taken care of at home. And then we'll be obedient to the command of, of the Lord. Because Jesus said, don't stop at Nampa. Don't stop at Idaho. Don't stop at, 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 at Samaria. You know, he said, go to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the reason, we, that's the reason it is so important for us to have a, a missions program that is preeminent. You know, when I, uh, this morning, I, I basically want to talk to you about what, what the highest priority of the church should be. The very highest priority. When they ordained me into the ministry 29 years ago, one of the questions that the interrogator asked me was, what is the job of the church? And my answer was, and still is, it is the job of the church is this. Jesus said to the church, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's the job of the church. In a word, what the job of the church is, is missions. That's it. Now, missions takes on a, on a, on a lot of different looks. We, over the door of one of the, of the office of the first church that I pastored, we had a sign that we put up going out of the office that says you're now entering the mission field. Because there's the mission fields right out there. There's lots of folks out there that need to know the Lord. Out there. And it doesn't matter where we are. That's the job of the church. It's missions. 
when I arrived to take the leadership of the first church that God had called me to pastor, you know, you inherit a lot of stuff when you go and take a church that's existing and a lot of stuff you don't want to inherit. And, uh, but one thing, it was, it, it was okay. And I, you know, especially when you go to a church that you, you don't know a great deal about yet. You know some because you've investigated and you know as much as you can know. But uh, there's some things that you wonder about. And the church letterhead was one thing that caught my eye. On the church letterhead down at the bottom, across just kind of scrawled across the bottom of the of the letterhead, it said a church had the name of the church and all this stuff up to the top and down at the bottom. It said a church with a missionary heart. And I couldn't help but ask myself the question, I wonder if that's true. I really wonder if that's true. And I must tell you that I answered my question really quick. I said, I sure hope so. Because that's the that's the job of the church, is to be a, have a missionary heart. And we've sung these songs this morning. You know your pastor has a missionary heart. I wouldn't be here if I didn't, obviously. I came here as a home missionary. But God wants us to have a missionary heart. We're talking about the importance of of a mission's preeminence. Preeminence. Meaning it needs to be the number one thing that we do. It needs to be preeminent. Missions must be our heart. I want to give you some reasons why that is true. Our church must be a church with a missionary heart. Let me give you the first reason. It's found in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. You're, I'm sure, familiar with the context of Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has gone into the, excuse me, has gone into the wilderness. He's been there for 40 days, fasting and praying. And the devil comes to him to tempt him because he was hungry. 40 days, you know, the time for the fast to end. And... He's hungry. And Satan comes to Jesus and says, If you're the Son of God, make these stones into bread. He knew he was hungry. And Jesus answered him in verse 4 of chapter 4 of Matthew. He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Excuse me. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, the first reason this church, and by the way, you are this church. I am this church. We are the church. We should have a missionary heart because, first of all, the the Bible is a missionary book. The, the Bible is a missionary book. Uh, 
It's the word of God that the world needs. The world does not need to have someone tell it how great they can be or how... I was talking with someone just uh, this past week. There is a there is a uh, a movement underway, which I'm very glad to see and hear about. I'm I'm very pleased to tell you uh, that um, I forget one of the fellows' names, but uh, Kirk Cameron. Remember the remember the what's the yeah he was. Uh, Growing pains, yeah. Man, I figured somebody would remember that. I I, I couldn't remember the, the name of the show. I've watched it many times with my kids when it was on. But he was on that show, and and uh, he's become a Christian since then, and got a great testimony for the Lord. He and another fellow have have started this uh, this ministry entitled the Way of the Master, and basically what it is is a it's a, a a ministry that puts emphasis on soul winning. And this uh, this individual I was talking to about this this last week said, "Have you heard of that?" And I said, "I have." And he was telling me, he said, "You know what?" He and, and this person was a younger person, and he said, uh, "the the thing about this this way of the master is they're basically uh, making people aware that they." are sinners and that they need to be forgiven by God and if they don't there's hell to pay basically because what has happened is the church in in a sense many churches have kind of bought into this felt needs thing that says do you want joy? Do you want love? Do you want peace in your heart? Well, of course I do. Well, accept Jesus, and he'll give it to you. And so they accept him, looking for love, joy, and peace. But nothing is talked about when it comes to forgiveness, which brings that love, joy, and peace. And, and when, when it comes to, uh, to a, an acknowledgement to God that we need him and we need to live for him you know it's a very uh, the, the, anyway their, their their ministry is such that it's just saying that people need to be saved now you know what that does that, that kind of takes me back in time <laughs> i told this individual i said you know what i'm i'm excited to no end to hear uh, about a ministry like that because that's what we've been doing for 30 years for in fact, when I when I got saved, the only way I got saved, and the only reason I got saved, was that I knew that if I died and, uh, and was not saved and was not reconciled to God, I was on my way to hell. And there is a hell to be missed, and people need to know that. And most people are they struggle with this whole issue of of they want the joy and the love and the peace that, in in their hearts that they're missing, and and and. We as believers understand that uh, that Jesus brings these things into our lives, but we first got to deal with this issue of our sinfulness. We've got to admit to Him that we've failed Him, and that we've uh, that, that we need to be forgiven, and that we need to be saved from our sin. 
You know, that's a word you don't hear a lot these days is, is the word saved. And because the world wants to make it make you look like a Bible-thumping lunatic or something that, uh, uh, that that's just about three bricks short of a whole full load or, or whatever. Uh, but the truth is, we need to be saved as men and women, boys and girls who have failed a righteous God... We are sinners, and we need to deal with that. Uh, the, uh, the book of Romans tells us very clearly uh, that, uh, that we, need to, we need to be willing to acknowledge our lost condition. You know, the old, some of you were saved as a result of someone sharing what we refer to as, as a plan of salvation called the Romans Road. And all that is, it means we just use the, the book of Romans uh, so that we don't have to go jumping all over the Bible looking for Scripture. Uh, just go down the Romans road to salvation and ultimately you'll get saved if you acknowledge those verses of Scripture and believe them and, and trust Christ by faith. And the first step to, t- to following the Romans road is this. You've got to understand that you're a sinner. You've got to know that you're a sinner and you need to deal with your sinfulness. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 tells us none of us are righteous. No, not one. Uh, 3.23 says that we've all fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us. And it goes on and, 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 and tells us that, uh, that, that sin has to be paid for. Chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But gratefully, it doesn't stop there. The gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the gift of God. I don't have to measure up. I don't have to, I don't have to, uh, uh, to, to get baptized in a certain way. I don't have to. Uh, and baptism is important. But it has nothing to do with getting to go to heaven. People need to understand that. People need to understand that, you know, that, 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 that their sin needs to be forgiven. And God will, uh, will, will do so. Because he's made a way for them to come to him. There is only one way to God contrary to the teaching of the church of Oprah. And that way is Jesus Christ. And I'm not here to bash Oprah Winfrey, but I want to tell you something this morning. If you're an Oprah Winfrey fan, she's done a great deal of good in a lot of places. She's a, she is a, a terrific person and personality. But she's messed up when it comes on, uh, to get how to get to heaven, and and uh, basically, you know, she she thinks you can get there any way you want to, as long as you're sincere. There's going to be a lot of people going to wake up in hell one day, sincere about what they believed, but wrong, sincerely wrong. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." No man comes to the Father but by me. He's the only way we'll get to God. In fact, uh, Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved than the name of Jesus. That name, that's it. And so, basically, uh, we've, the, the Word of God... This missionary book, uh, we understand that, that it reaches out to us. It tells us, it shows us 
how we can come to, uh, to, into a relationship with a holy God. The Word of God is what gives life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life. He wants us to have life. Oh, and I love John 3 where he said, I didn't come into the world, condemn the world. But that the world might be saved. There's no condemnation in him. He's come to forgive. He's come to reconcile. He's come to help us. The word of God gives us eternal life. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. Jesus said, my sheep, talking about those of us who have called on him to be our personal Lord and Savior. We become his sheep. We're part of his flock. And the whole, whole discourse in chapter 10 of John is about uh, him being the good shepherd. And he said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Just in case you're wondering what eternal means jesus said they shall never perish they're going to live forever my sheep will live forever i've given to them eternal life and the word of god by the way gives us abundant life as well you know that passage john 10 10 jesus said i've come that they might have life and life more abundant he wants us to have a, a good life our problem is we live as believers much beneath the level that God wants for most of us because we're not willing to trust him. We, we violate one scriptural principle after another and then wonder why. I was reading the book of Proverbs the other day uh, that, that man, I can't quote it. I wished I could. I just, 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 you know, sometimes it just kind of comes up. I can remember reading just the other day and it reminded me once again that the plans of man are a mess. He said, man just make, basically, just to paraphrase it, what it says is man causes himself lots of trouble, and then he cries out against God and says, you know, God's really not blessing me. Something's wrong. Well, in fact, you know, uh, a lot of times the problems I have are of my own making. That's what he's saying. But God wants us to have a wonderful life. Let me give you a, a, a second reason that... Uh, uh, that we should have missionary hearts. Not only is, is the Bible a missionary book, but the gospel is a missionary message. Look at Romans chapter 10 with me. We sang some of this just a little bit ago as we sang uh, Our God Reigns, for some of that's taken right out of, of, of uh, chapter 10, verse 15. Let's read together beginning with verse 13. In Romans 10, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed your, your, our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
The gospel is a message of peace. Verse 15 again. It says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Bring glad tidings of good things. I've told you before, but see that? Beautiful, right? Not in the sense of looking at it. That's a pretty ugly foot right there, to tell you the truth. But what that means is, it's wonderful to see the feet coming that are going to bring the good news to us. It's good to know somebody cared enough to, to come my way to bring this message of good news. That's why we sing, how beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. The gospel is good news. It's, it's, it's news about peace between God and man. Isaiah put it this way in chapter 53 and verse 5. He said, the chastisement of our peace is upon him. Talking about Jesus. He suffered, uh, suffered the penalty uh, that, it, that was required for you and I to have peace. And yes, there is great peace that comes with knowing the Lord. I'm going to tell you what, there is nothing better than being able to, to sit down and to just relax knowing there's all kind of stressful things going on around your situation but you can sit right down in the midst of the storm and know that it just doesn't matter because God has full control of it. That's exactly where God wants us to live. And that's one of the products of knowing Him as our personal Savior. Peace between God and man. Peace in man's own soul with himself. Philippians 4, verse 7, says that, that uh, it's the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall, shall guard your, your hearts and minds. It's the peace of God that guards us. It's God doing the guarding. Isaiah said it this way. He said in, in chapter 26 and verse 3, he said, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. You're, you got turmoil and, and, and struggle in your, in, your, in your life and maybe there's stress and all of this going on. Get your focus back on the Lord. And I promise you, that's what the Bible says. That's not Lou Hill. That's the Bible. The Bible says, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. You focus on the Lord and his power. And his willingness to work in your life. And yeah, things may be crumbling or all around you, but you got perfect peace. It's okay, because you know who's in control. The gospel's a message of, of glad tidings and good things, verse 15 tells us. You know, I, I was reminded of the angels in, uh, when they announced the birth of Jesus. You remember that? That was one, thing, one of the things they said. I bring, fear not, Luke 2.10. Fear not, for I bring the good news of, of great joy and glad tidings, right? Well, I mean, you, you Jews have been working and trying your best to measure up and do the law and all of this, the sacrificial system and, 
And knowing that it was never complete, I want to tell you, I got good news for you. Peace with God. Let me give you the third thing. I'm about out of time. The Bible's a missionary book. The gospel's a missionary message. And the church is a missionary institution. Look at Acts chapter 13 with me for a minute. And we'll be done. Acts chapter 13. I love this, this passage of scripture. Acts chapter 13 verse 1. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, there I am right there, different Lucius, maybe I'll start back, some of you didn't know that's my real name, did you? <laughs> Not a smart word out of any one of you either. I grew up with that, with that name and didn't become Lou until I was in, a senior in high school. Uh, I've had a lot of fights over that name, so <laughs> I've learned how to defend myself, so just be courteous and be Christian about it. And there was Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. These are people who were in the church, prophets and teachers. Verse 2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. The church is a missionary institution. It was the church that Jesus commanded to get out the gospel. When you read Matthew 28, in verse 16, it tells us who was there when he gave the Great Commission. Uh, Great Commission. It was the 11. And contrary to what some Bible teachers want to tell you, uh, the church didn't start on the day of Pentecost, it was empowered on the day of Pentecost. The church is a called out body of believers. Jesus had called out this body of believers already. And in, in, in my opinion, the, the church was actually began there in the upper room when he gave the ordinances. But you see, the 11 are there and Jesus, that's who he gave the great commission to. And folks, the church today still has the same obligation, the same commission. It was the church that the Holy Spirit called individuals from. Verse 3 of Acts 13, we read a moment ago. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. The church sent the missionaries away. Because the Spirit of God, in verse uh, verse uh, 2 had called them out. They were, in, 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 one thing that's important for us to understand, they were a spiritual church. And they were involved in spiritual activity. They were fasting and praying. And as they did, God said, separate for me uh, Saul and Barnabas. And these are the first missionaries he calls out of the church. 
And because the church was involved in a spiritual activity, the result was the Spirit of God honors them. And folks, I want to tell you something. There is nothing more honoring to a church than for the Spirit of God to pull out people, call out people out of the church to be missionaries. You see, missionaries are no, they're no, uh, uh, sometimes we put them on such pedestals because we want to pray for them and we want to talk about them because that's our job. But they're just normal people like you and me. They are people, though, who are being obedient to the call of God in their lives. And yes, the missionaries were honored when, they, when the Spirit of God called them out, but the church was just as honored. I want to tell you, I'll never forget the first missionaries that, that God called out of the church uh, that, that I pastored, or one of the churches that I pastored. And actually, it wasn't, it wasn't until, the, uh, wasn't until the, I'd pastored two churches, my second church, before God chose to, to call a missionary out. But I want to tell you, it does something for the church. It, it really does something for the church. It, it gives the church a sense of, of, uh, of doing what God has placed them here to do and purpose. And, and, and it's, it's just an awesome thing. And I, uh, I'm, I'm so, so excited about the, the, the prospects of the one day this church is going to be sending missionaries out if God so chooses. And, but we're going to have to be available. And we're going to have to be praying. We're going to have to be doing the things we need to be doing as, as a church. Because God is relying on the church to evangelize the world. Well, just in closing, the church must be a church with a missionary heart. And we've given you three very good reasons. The Bible's a missionary book. The gospel's a missionary message. And the church is a missionary institution. If we don't have a missionary heart, if we're not a, a church who has a heart for missions, I just ask you this question. Who's going to take the message? Who's going to, who's going to deliver the message of the good news if we don't? We were reading in Romans 10 a moment ago, verse 13, tells how people get saved. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But he goes on right after that. Says, but how shall, how shall they believe unless they've heard? We gotta, we've got to get the message out. It's our job. You know, I think it's a crying shame. Thousands upon thousands of people do not even have a copy of the Word of God. And then we've got churches back in, in the United States that would rather fight over which translation to use than to be obedient to, the one, to any one of them that says the same thing. We've got, there are people dying and going to hell every day but yet we've got churches in the United States that want to, they want to fight and argue about what kind of music you have in your church service. Who cares as long as it honors God? If we don't have a missionary heart, 
the question is simply who will take the message of the gospel that God offers peace and joy instead of pain and suffering and it's eternal our emphasis I'm afraid is upon how to get that peace and joy for ourselves and with no thought of what people around the world are doing or what people next door are doing we don't have a missionary heart Where's God going to raise up those who will go for him? Having a missionary heart requires that our priorities be in order. And our priorities must be right in relationship to others. Let me, let me share a couple of simple statistics that might help you to understand how out of line our priorities relating others uh, to others have become. Do you realize that we spend as much annually on chewing gum as we do on missions? Now, I'm not preaching against chewing gum. (laughs) Nothing wrong with chewing gum. But as a nation, we spend as much on gum as we do on getting the gospel out. Our annual giving to, uh, to foreign missions is about what our nation spends on a 52-day supply of pet food. I don't know about you, but that just convicts the daylights out of me. I think we've got our, I think as a nation, we've got our, and as a church, when I, not specifically this church, but as the church in a corporate sense, the body of Christ has got its priorities out of order in a lot of time, in a lot of ways. We just need to get back to the basics of the Christian life. Let me pass on an interesting quote that was passed on to me by my missionary friend, Steve Workman. He's a missionary in Botswana over in Africa. It's from a book by Tom Telford entitled Missions in the 21st Century, Getting Your Church Into the Game. Listen to this, and this will... you'll know exactly where we're coming from when I read you this. On a plane ride recently, I was seated next to a well-dressed young man. As we chatted, he asked me what, uh, what I do for a living. Well, I said, I'm a mission specialist. His eyes lit up and he said, you know what our denomination does in missions? Every family in the church must raise the money to send every one of their children on a missions trip at some point in their teenage years. He explained that they believed first-hand exposure was the ideal way to get young people and families turned on to missions as central to the ministry of the church. I was thrilled, he said. Then he told me he was a Mormon. I thought to myself, if every evangelical church in America did what the Mormons are doing, we wouldn't have billions of people going to hell. And he is so right. To paraphrase Hank Hanegraaff, why are we not willing to do for the truth what the cults are doing for a lie? May God help us to have a missionary heart because The lives of people all over the world are dependent upon it. 
How do I develop a missionary heart? I'm glad you asked. Pray for your friends and your neighbors to be saved. Pray for your loved ones that they'll be saved. Not just, you know, we have a prayer meeting and men, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, but we get, we got prayer lists a mile long and it's about so-and-so's big toe that's going to be operated on next week or so-and-so's got this problem or that problem or a job problem or that problem. How many do we put on there that need to know the Lord? We ought to be burdened for their soul as well as their physical well-being. I'm not telling you don't pray for their physical problem. Do pray for their physical problems. Keep it up. But be mindful that people, your loved ones and your neighbors and the people you work with and the people that, that, that our kids go to school with and the people right down the block need to know the Lord. Be willing to deliver the message. Be willing to share with them what Christ has done for you. And at least be be willing to, to bring them to church. If you're not willing to talk to them, be willing to bring them to church so somebody else can. I had a guy in the first church that I pastored, old Don Giles. He was about as rough as a cob. I mean, he worked at a meat packer's uh, meat packing plant, and man alive, some of the stories he told me that went on out there in that place. But when he got saved, I want to tell you what, he got saved. And we were having a revival meeting, and I'd come in. I'd go pick up the evangelist that was preaching, and I'd, I'd check back at the, at the officer at the house, and I'd have a message from Don, and he'd say, Preacher, you need to meet me at so-and-so place at, at um, uh, tomorrow night, uh, this guy I work with, so-and-so, he's going to get saved. <laughs> Not that we need to talk to him about the Lord. He's going to get saved. <laughs> and we'd meet and we'd talk, and sure enough, that, that guy would get saved. <laughs> you know, I, and that happened about three days in a row. You see, Don didn't understand fully how to, how to share his faith, but he knew somebody that did know. And he'd bring people to church. I'll never forget, he brought a guy to church once. A fellow had a big Roman Catholic uh, background in his family and stuff. And he brought this guy to church. And we had this big old long auditorium. And back behind the baptistry, we had a huge cross up there just, you know, on display. And it, and it was, you know, like a lot of churches do. And, and uh, this fellow came in, and he got about halfway. He was kind of a little bashful, and he got about halfway down that that aisle leading down to the front where he was going to sit. He looked up and saw that cross, and he hit the floor. I mean, he went to his knees right on the spot. We were able to lead that guy to Christ. And, 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 and for him to be able to be delivered from all that, that superstition and stuff he'd been carrying for so long. But it's because there's a man who cared. For the people that he worked with, people that were ungodly people who'd, who would cut your finger off as quick as they'd look at you. Uh, they're in that meat cutter's line. I mean, some of those rough, rough people. I don't know whether they were ever were, but in that particular place, they were tough. But Don knew they needed to be saved. But don't just stop there. Pray for missionaries on, 
and, and, and people on other fields. Pray for people like the Angeloskis in Macedonia or, or like, like the, uh, the Molars over in South Africa or the, the Reaps, our missionaries in, in the Philippines. Pray for them and pray for the people that are there. They don't understand. They need to hear the gospel. You know, the, the, the world looks at Macedonia. We're going over there next week. And, and, and the world looks at that place and says, man, we need to send money over there. I will tell you what we need to send over there is the gospel. And God will take care of the rest of it. Pray for those people. And now, let me tell you something else to do. Be willing to go to one of those places. If God so chooses to call you. Be willing. Just listen for the voice of God. You won't be, I'll tell you, you won't be willing to unless you have a missionary heart. You'll want to just stop and, and, and think about where you're at. And there's nothing wrong. God's not sending everybody to the mission field. But he wants everybody to be willing to go. And he wants every one of us to go to the mission field that we are part of and to be the missionaries to that field. He wants every one of us. To, you know, the Mormons are, you know, that whole thing, that whole doctrine of the Mormon church is a mess. But I'm going to tell you one thing they understand is how to reach people. And we need to have the zeal that they have with, for the truth. Bow your heads with me, please, just for a second. I've, I've gone way over time. I didn't mean to preach this long, but...